McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Bobby fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 52. Well we did it guys, we actually toppled the mighty Harrogate and joining me on the show is Pompey News now Rob. How are you mate? I'm good, I'm good Hugh. Uh, glad we won I think but kind of frustrated yet again at how we played. It's it's a common theme this season isn't it? Yeah, did you did you stay up celebrating all night like me yesterday? <laughs> well, I wasn't uh, I wasn't one of the lucky ones that was at Harrogate with the five hour drive in front of them after the win. Uh, like my like my dad who got in at about half past three this morning. Um, I wasn't there, but I was watching it on telly, screaming at the television as if I was there. <laughs> Exactly the same as me, mate. So shout out to all the 600 or Pompey fans that made it there back safely. So kudos to you lot. Nice one. Um, then we're going to go on and discuss um, the Eisners. Um, a couple of you guys have messaged me and asked me to touch on whether we're happy with the ownership um, and also the fans forum that came out, uh, the notes from that. And we can then use that to evaluate what is going on exactly. Uh, then we're going to talk about Tom Naylor. How exactly are we going to tackle Tackles, good word for Tom Naylor. Um, his absence in the side, it could be a lengthy one. Um, is Anton Walks the man to fill the gap? And following that, we're going to do a quick preview of Rochdale um, and touch on the Altrium draw as well. Rob, let's get into it. Harrogate, it was... We scraped through, didn't we? We absolutely dodged that banana skin just about in a, what is looking at a little sort of pompy way now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... I, I was talking to uh, Mum who I was watching the game with at home, and I said before the kickoff, if there's a goal in the first twenty minutes, it will not be for us because we quite often this season like to kind of sit off a team when they have the ball forty yards from our own goal. And I, I knew that a, a team like Harrogate were going to, well, they had to, they had to come at us early on to try and get that goal. And obviously they did, thanks to some... Uh, what even was that defending for that goal? I, I, I can't really put it into words. It was a calamity of errors that you'd probably see at the six-a-side league I play in on Thursdays, uh, more so than a professional third-tier side. Uh, it, it was always going to be tough because obviously there were circumstances like the, the plastic pitch, uh, which Pompey hadn't hadn't played on before. So our first win on a artificial pitch ever um, as well. Which, but I mean, the last time we played it one was in the 80s or whatever it was. Yeah. But it was, it took two wonder strikes to put away a team that's seventh in the conference premier. So what that says about how we played you know, when we didn't really create any chances to get a third and kill the game off in the second half as well. We had one that hit the post and Marquise missed from three yards out when he hit the keeper. Uh, but other than that, I can't really remember any good chances in the second half. It was a very dull 45 minutes, really. Well, if you look at it, we actually had six shots on goal. Obviously, two of those went in. So there wasn't many opportunities, really, was there, that would stand out in the mind um it's one of those weird things because i don't like to go into possession stats too much really just to pay any notice but when you're playing a team you know much like two leagues lower than you and you get 48 percent possession 
and they play, you know, another 70 odd passes completed than we did. It's quite poor, isn't it? The Pompey weren't really able to get a grip on the game and just take it over. Absolutely. I think it doesn't help when quite often players couldn't make five yard passes to each other. There was plenty of attacks that were wasted in all parts of the pitch, whether it was through the middle, through the left or through the right, where players couldn't make five-yard passes to each other and that was breaking down an attack that could have led to something. But we know Pompey this season more often wouldn't. (laughs) But it's that frustration, isn't it, when you're... Especially for the last kind of 15 minutes you knew that we were just going to sit back and sit back and sit back and go deeper. And it was, I had a bet on with one of my friends about what minute Harry we're going to score the equaliser because it's happened so much this season that you're even expecting it against a team that's, you know, two leagues below you. Do you think that's fair enough? Do you think that the feeling around Pompey fans is, I think, is that we are, you know, inevitably going to drop a lead in that situation. Well, you look at how many times it's happened this season. It's quite easy to think that. Uh, and because the pattern of play in all of those games where we have lost the lead is that it's usually just a one-goal lead. We don't go and kill the game off. Uh, obviously, at Bristol Rovers, we, we were 2-0 up, conceded one, and then just decided to completely sharp shop. Uh which obviously there was, I know that the equaliser Bristol Rovers was a bit unfortunate, but it it falls into the same pattern, doesn't it? Of of sitting back too far, of not pressing and try and just putting eleven men behind the ball so that when we do win the tackle, there's no out ball as well. So we all know Marquis runs himself into the ground, and I feel so sorry for him because he runs himself into the ground, but he never gets the ball to make use of it as well. And again, it was, it was evident uh, last night as well. He, he was running around like a madman, but didn't often get the ball to actually have a shot. And you could tell he was getting frustrated as well. I think towards the end of the game. No, you can completely. In fact, I think with him as well is that he needs the ball to feet in front of him on the shoulder of the defender. This is feels, I feel like I'm a broken record now going round and round, Rob, but <laughs> yeah. we all know where, where Marquis needs the ball to be, don't we? And unfortunately, he at the moment, the ball's going up to him and we're hoping that he's going to win some bouncing ball between two centre-backs who are inevitably going to be bigger than him and be able to sort of angle him off the ball. It's not the right way to play. And... We're not going to get the best out of possibly one of the best strikers in the league if if we keep playing that way. Um, let's have a look at um, the idea of Brandon Houndstrip. He was a bit of a, a bright spark in the game going forward, at least, wasn't he, playing at right back? Um, he got that great goal coming on his left foot. Was that his first senior goal, Rob? I think it may well have been. Yeah, and if, I think and if it, it is. If it was, that's a lovely way to do it. Uh, and also, the most surprising thing, uh, and I know Freddie tweeted it because I said it, was uh, Ryan Williams' assist klaxon. I've I've said all season that Ryan Williams is a great workhorse. He works a lot. He runs around a lot. All of that. He gets in decent enough positions. But I, I tweeted after the South End game, he's never going to score and he's never going to get assist. We got two assists yesterday. If he gets two goals when we play Rochdale, then I'm happy. But <laughs> it's... The goal from Hornstrap, obviously, good work between him and Williams. It's a lovely little curled finish because, obviously, his his stronger foot is the foot on the inside of the pitch. He was able to get that shot off. Um, I don't know how much scouting Harrogate did. Uh, I don't know. But if I was them, I would have made sure I would have at least tried to shepherd him away from that left foot as much as possible because he has got a wicked delivery. And obviously a wicked shot from 25 yards, as we now know. No, completely. Um, it's credit to Brandon, really, isn't it? After, you know, the couple of assists he had earlier, you know, stepping up and getting that goal. 
I'd say he's probably allowed a little bit more room than usual. And I think the same was said for Ronan Curtis, who will come on to the next goal. The players at this at that level as such maybe have let him have a little bit more time to shoot from distance when they would have done um, further into the box, for instance, which is fair enough. But I did think it was a little bit loose on the pressing, but not to take that away from Brandon Houndstrip at all. You do you feel to score the goal, definitely, yeah. Yeah, do you think that um, Brandon is the new shoe-in for right-back? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so, because against a better team in League One, uh, his defensive qualities are severely lacking at right-back, because his... You saw for, for Harrogate's goal, for example, he, he missed the header, the first header, uh, which put the ball back across the box uh, for for Beck to score. So, I mean, there was also an, a whole other calamity of errors, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But I think he's good going forwards. I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with having him at right back for an extended period. Obviously, I know McCrory's out, which is obviously a problem. Uh, but we did sign a right back as a replacement for Thompson, and we had two right backs on the bench last night. And neither of well, one of them got on the pitch to play at centre mid. So I don't know what that says about Jacket's faith in in Bolton and Walks, two players which he recruited. Yeah, well, I've got to say that obviously he hasn't got very much faith at all in them. I know Jacket wanted to add some impetus going forward, didn't he, from from the the left and right back? Because last season we saw Thompson on one side, Brown on the other side. Both of them bombed it forward, provided an overlap, um, and it created space for the wingers to to get into and come narrow, as well as um, get wide and get the ball in. It seems yeah, odd because but Bolton, Bolton has done well. He's so he's he's produced. Uh, a few assists, I don't know the exact numbers, but a few assists from right back. And he was in a decent enough run of form. Uh, but but then he dropped him out of the side from McCrory, and McCrory did okay. You know, he was the man of the match against uh, Oxford. But then Jacket takes McCrory off to put Bolton on. We concede the goal because Bolton was out of position. And then it seems like he's just lost faith in him completely again. It seems like Jacket goes through these phases where if you do okay or well for a period at the end of a game or vice versa the other way, do badly at the end of the game, he then either drops you or keeps you in for the next game just un- until you do drop some clangor uh, and then you get dropped and you don't get back in the team until the person in front of you drops a clanger. So, I, I, I don't know what the dynamic is there, but it seems a strange one from the outside. It's definitely a strange one, isn't it? Because you question possibly some of the players um, who are in the team who aren't playing in form. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of Ben Close, but he's not playing well in that role in the middle. And he, seems, and he seems to get, you know, a guaranteed starting place at the moment. So, some players seem to have an exemption in that sense, don't they? On, on that system, and I think it's more. I think it's more about. Um, it's a, it's a, there's a phrase that goes across different sports saying you've got money in the bank, yeah. Yeah. So you played. You've played enough. Uh, you proved yourself for the manager. If you make a mistake, you know they'll go all right. You know this guy's got money in the bank a little bit, so you know you're not going to be dropped straight away or. And some players haven't got that to the ca- the manager, the money in the bank, and therefore, if they make a big mistake, they're going to be they're going to be taken out and swapped in. I, I don't see Lee Brown, for instance, who I, I you know I really like as a player, but he's not playing well at all at left back, in my opinion. And I don't see him thinking, right, you know, Lee, we're going to take Houndstrip and put him on the left, and we'll you know we'll, we'll choose one of the right backs that I actually bought in to play right back. <laughs> I think he's he's got a steady place in the team. And a bit like Tom Naylor, who we'll talk about later, you know, he Tom is playing well, but those those names are written on the on the team sheet, aren't they? Regardless of form. Yeah, and I think that that can be an issue when, especially the start of this season, we were in a bit of a slump, and it's 
one bad performance and you don't and nothing changes in terms of the team lineup or performance, you could you kind of it's a vicious cycle. Uh and so it's in some ways these injuries will mean Jacket has to freshen it up. He has to put some square pegs in round holes for at least a couple of games, which is probably why one of the reasons why Houndstrop ended up at right back uh, at, at the first instance against Southend, because Bolton wasn't even in the, the 18 for that game, which again, is a strange decision. Uh, I've said this all season. Every time Jacket either announces the lineup or makes a tactical, uh, a tactical decision or a substitution, it, it always seems very easily questionable. So, Harness being dropped, for example, is another one. Yeah, where the fuck is Marcus Harness? Exactly. And him quite often not making any subs or not making the three subs. Again, yesterday was another example of it. We had two injuries in the first half. And at the end of the game, the last 15 minutes, you could see some players were flagging, getting tired, someone like Cannon for his energy, someone like Harness for his yeah, energy, yeah. any of those that were still just left on the bench. Or, even beyond that, when it gets into the 88th, 89th minute, make a sub to just waste some time, break some momentum of the of the team you're playing against when they're pushing for the equaliser. And he didn't do either of those things. And it, again, it seemed really, really kind of naive. And if we had conceded a, a second goal, those Pompey fans were about as close as you're going to get to the, the, the away dugouts, apart from maybe AFC Wimbledon this season, the the vitriol that would have come from them, I have no doubt, would have been horrendous and very intense. Um, it's one of them, isn't it? Because it seems so obvious to to almost every fan watching the games that it's just a simple thing. That need that is needed, but he never does it. <laughs> no, we've been critical about Kenny Jacket's sort of substitutions, and I, I thought yesterday that you know, like Gareth Evans, but he looked really poor in that role. And you know, number ten, he didn't support uh, Marcus up front very well. I didn't think his link-up play was great. He played a lot of wayward passes, didn't he? And he looked really tired towards the end. You know, he ran himself into the ground like he always does. Um, got to applaud Gareth Evans for that but it was crying out in my opinion to switch him out to bring on Andy Cannon and really add some energy into that central midfield role it wasn't done and I just don't understand why Kenny Jackett can't look up and make that change you needed to either bring on Cannon or bring on um, Harness on the right or whichever side you wanted to bring him on and just provide that direct running at the opposition and really peg them back in their own half rather than sitting to back in our own half inviting pressure from you know to the side of the National League Exactly and you know Harrogate are a decent side in the conference we know that they're obviously they're, they're seventh in the league at the moment I don't know if there are any games tonight uh, which might have changed that but it it's very kind of you're one goal ahead against a team in a cup tie that's got absolutely nothing to lose. They're going to come at you with everything they have. Why are you not, at the very least, just breaking up the momentum at the end of the game to to make sure that they don't have wave after wave of attack? I mean, even someone like Pittman, who could have come on yesterday, to to for that last kind of 15 minutes to get the ball and play a pass like he can. You know, I, I'm not Pittman's biggest fan, but even, you know, you could have even put Pittman on and it would have just broken up the momentum and it would have been also a sign of intent as like, we're going to go and kill this game off. But Pompey never do that. How many times have Pompey won by more than one goal this season? It can't be many. No, it's not many at all, is it? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. And obviously, South End. Yeah. I'm just looking through. We obviously we won South End four one. I don't know if you want to count the the EFL Trophy game against Norwich under twenty ones, no, or the Cup game against QPR. 
No, because they're all cup games. I want to know yeah. in the league. Against, so, in the league, same... it's Tranmere, and that's it. So, twice. Which is awful with the quality of players that we have at the moment to our disposal. And I know some people think, you know, is the quality there or not, but you look at the results around the league and you think there's got to be teams that Pompey can beat by more than one goal with the squad that we have. Because the only two, you know, we didn't even beat Bolton, who hadn't actually signed, or if they had signed the players up, they'd signed them the day or two before. You know, it was it was by one goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awful. And in that game, I think it was Bolton were ten to one from the bookies to win the game. And at the time, you look at you look at the game. I remember being there watching it and thinking. Bolton could have easily been three 0 up in that game if they had taken a few chances. Yeah, and I think if we if we'd played like that and played them now, they may well have been three 0 up. Yeah, yeah, and our, our, the attacking quality we have is is evident not just when watching them now, but when you look at their past statistics. So obviously, Marquise scoring. 48 goals in League One in the last two League One seasons, or whatever the specific number was. Uh, you know, Curtis, obviously, last year, at the start of last season, was, was brilliant. Um, Pittman, obviously, sometimes plays at number 10, so you say him, his, his first season in League One for us got over 20 goals. Uh, Marcus Harness at Burton was fantastic when he broke into the side towards the end of last season. You know, that front four in terms of ability is probably one of the best in the league I'd say purely on paper obviously I know it doesn't work like that but it's got to be at least up there and we're scraping games by the odd goal and because we're only one goal up when it goes into the last 10 minutes the teams are going to come at us and we're going to sit back and we're going to sit further back and we're going to sit even further back and then Oxford who are a good side are going to pick us off you know, they didn't deserve anything from that game, but we let them get a point. Yeah, no, completely. It's it's one of those situations at the moment where you think we need to change the formation. We need to, but it's all about the attitude as well, isn't it? Really, it's all about the attitude and how you set your team up, how you go and press high. We all know that this team, you know, is really there to attack the, the side of players we've got. Is there to attack. I think we could outscore a lot of teams if we implemented an attacking system, or possibly had an attacking manager to implement those systems. But we'll come on. We'll come on to that. Oh, Tom Naylor, Neil Allen will be absolutely <laughs> devastated. Rob, his poster boy. I'm sure he has loads of pictures around his room of Tom Naylor, <laughs> uh, signed shirt, signed socks, signed whatever. Um, but yeah, Tom Naylor out with a hamstring injury. It looked pretty bad uh, watching it. These things can take time to recover. And with Ross McCrory also out, that's going to leave a gaping hole in the middle of uh, Pompey's midfield, isn't it? Absolutely. And obviously, when we uh, looked at, just before we started the podcast, we were talking about the, the squad depth that we have in there. And there isn't that many central midfielders for Pompey, really. You've got kind of Cannon, but when Cannon's played, he's mainly been used as a number 10. Close, who, again, I know you mentioned, who has been off the pace in recent games. Uh, and Anton Walks, who is a right-back, who sometimes plays at holding midfielder. So, are there any others, like, in the squad at all? I don't think there are. Boris. But he's on... He may as well just book a, book a room at the QA for the next however many months because obviously he's been injured for so long. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, it, we are a bit... I, I would have said going into the season, we actually looked fairly deep at central midfield, but with all the injuries we've got, if you think if you've got Morris out, Naylor out, McCrory out, that's a huge problem in the middle. If if Jacket's stubborn and sticks to the four-two-three-one formation, is Anton Watts going to be able to get the job done? Uh, well, I think he's going to be be given the job I, I wouldn't necessarily know if he's going to have the quality to do it in League One uh, and I still don't think we should ever be playing two holding midfielders at home 
you know, it, it's so negative. Like, it's... It, it's like... It, it doesn't help as well with the... When we go into the last 10 minutes with one goal up, two holding midfielders, and it's just... They're basically on the edge of the D, 20 yards from our own goal. There's no impetus to to when they get win the ball to then give it to someone who's up the pitch and drive the team forwards because they when they clear the ball they kind of jog out to maybe halfway inside our own half and just stand there waiting for the next attack it's it's so negative and it's so frustrating to watch and i think it's made such a sense of not even anger anymore amongst some section of the Pompey support. It's more just apathy and that people don't care to a certain extent. I mean, when, apathy is worse, isn't it? The, the yeah. anger, um, you can see that from just the people um, talking about it on Twitter. A lot of people have even got mad or they just really stopped tweeting about, about Pompey purely because, you know, they can't be bothered anymore. Um Looking at talking about having playing two holding midfielders, I do think that depending on the style of football you play, for instance, Ben Close is not a holding midfielder. He's been shackled into that role really by a jacket, hasn't he? Um, ben he has played there for almost the entirety of his Pompey career. He's yeah, played with, with freedom, though, Rob. This is the problem, like in yeah, the sense yeah, of he, he was yeah. he was able to get forward. He was able to to arrive late at the edge of the box. And at the start of the season, he was playing that role and, and doing it very well, um, especially in the 4-3-3 when you had effectively Naylor um, anchoring in front of the defence as the one holding midfielder. Then you played two central midfielders in what's called the reverse triangle, uh, pressing high up the pitch. And then you have the two wingers pressing high with the striker. I actually think if we're going to look at a formation without Tom Naylor, we've got to go and put Anton Walks in that, role where he locks in front of the defence, cleans up or whatever, and he allows Andy Cannon and um, Ben Close the, the freedom to go and press ahead. Now, Anton Walks is not Tom Naylor, so I do feel that will leave us a bit more exposed at the back. However, I think it's the only way we've got to make a effective um, attacking style central midfield work. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, but I think Doing that requires a different, a change in attitude from Jacket to we're going to basically play for a nil-nil and we might accidentally nick a goal at some point. <laughs> um, whereas playing the system you're describing that we had started the season with, it would require a complete change in attitude to we're going to score more goals than you. Because obviously... With Anton Walkshield in the back four, the back four is going to be a bit more exposed. So Jacket will probably think, so we need to play two players there to to make sure the back four isn't exposed as much, which means that the front four with the striker and the three behind him are going to be so much more isolated as well, like they have been. So I don't... I agree with you in terms of that would probably be Without Naylor, that would probably be the best formation, the best attitude to go into in our next our next few games. Obviously, Rochdale being the 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 closest one, but it's not for however long now. It's not till next weekend. Uh, and then, obviously, it's Rotherham at home after that, isn't it? But it's not. I don't think it's going to happen, which is really frustrating. No, I know. It's one of those things, though, that I suppose when we're analysing the game, we can only point out what we think would be the best formation to play, who, which players should play in which roles, whether Kenny Jacket actually implements any of these ideas or not. Um, is, is listening, really, he's tuning in, yeah. Is really, yeah, he tunes in, he listens to in the bath. Um, <laughs> really depends on, you know, it's a way of, of judging his performance, really, isn't it? And if he if he chooses to make what what you're saying as what I would consider the wrong option of playing further defensive midfielders, well, people in defensive midfield roles, rather than pushing up, then I think it's fine for us to criticise him for that. 
Yeah, definitely. It's almost like Kenny Shack. It's like, oh, well, why don't we just play eight hole midfielders? You know, it, it's the the downing, mate. Let's get downing in that role. Yeah, quite. Well, the the frustration stemmed from so many things this season. It's the the style of football being so much. Uh, I wouldn't say so much worse than last season because the football was not great last season, but we were winning more games than we were losing, which. At the end of the day, I know it's a really bad cliche, but it is a result business. And when you win more games than you lose, fans are willing to accept worse football as long as it, it wins them games. There's, we've won five of our 15 games this season. You know, I can't remember what the the numbers were last season, but it must be more like Ipswich at the, at the moment who have got 10 wins from their 15 games. They're on 33 points at the top of the league. You know, it, pretty similar to how we were last season. It, but it's just, the one thing that I'm often shouted at Fratton is that like, is there any danger of a challenge? Because it seems like we sit off so much when the opposition has the ball anywhere around the halfway line and 10 yards inside our own half. Yeah, no, it's one of those things, Rob, that I, I genuinely think, though, the players, you know, are instructed to do, etc. So they... There's not much we can do unless Kenny Jacket sees the light and thinks, hey, wait a second, um, I'm going to play a more attacking system. He might turn around, though. He might turn around and go, all right, we haven't got enough midfielders to play this system that I want to play there. What we're going to do is we're going to go and start 4-4-2, put Marcus and Harrison up front and just play that traditional long ball up to those two strikers, wingers running down the wings, trying to lump balls into the middle, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of four four two. Pompey look absolutely awful every time they play that system, in my opinion. So, is that something you'd like to see, Rob? A four four two formation? I don't know. It's it's the I know you've spoken about it on previous podcasts with uh, I think it was with, with James and Sam about the four four two. It's it's a thing that a lot of people kind of call for when stuff goes badly. It's like oh well, back in my day, we always played four four two and. You know these kind of things, even if it's like a uh, a twenty five year old saying it. You know, it, it, yeah. um, it. I don't think it suits the the players we have in in, in the whole squad without any injuries. Uh, with the injuries we have at the moment, obviously, Raggett went off injured as well. I don't know how how bad he is, uh, but the the four four two, I kind of understand where it would come from right now because of the injuries that we have. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. And going about Harrison up front, that was a really weird one. Why was he dropped from the 18? Unless he was injured um, for last night's game, which I feel he, he must have been because him and Marquise had a really good uh, link up against South End. Um, one of the options, I guess, if we're talking personnel, if we're insisting on playing the four-two-three-one, is if you play Marquise at number ten, like he did against Southend and Harrison up front, with Cannon and Close, or Cannon and Walks, or Close and Walks, one of those combination behind them. Um, I think Marquise did quite well against Southend uh, because he was getting more touch to the ball. So he was able to create more chances uh, and drive the team up the pitch. No, I'm I'm all for that at the moment. I think we might as well. I don't think his natural position is to play as number ten. However, he did do what Pittman can't do, which is collect the ball properly, uh, make a right pass, has the right vision to play the ball forward, and he moves at least faster than what can be described as an amble, which is because Pittman. Goal scorer, fantastic. Give him a chance, he'll probably score it. But in our general play, he slows the play down to such an extent that it becomes... Static. 
static. So when we have the ball, the wingers have run forwards to where the, the fullbacks are and they're about to turn around and look for the ball because they because it's not coming. Because yeah. the focal point at number 10 is, is so slow that he's not moving the play fast enough. Yeah, no, completely, mate. And I, 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 so well, let's try that out. So let's go. Who are your, who are your two midfielders to start in, in the centre then? Are we going to go Cannon and Close or would you rather start Walks in that situation? Uh, I think because Naylor's injured, Close won't get dropped. Um, despite him not being necessarily up to par uh, recently, I think that I'd probably start walks and close if you're playing Marquise at number 10. Uh, but, no, no, sorry. Walks and Cannon if you're playing Marquise at number 10, but walks and close if you're playing Cannon at number 10. Yeah. No, it makes sense. That makes sense. Um, would you like to see, I know Ryan Williams got two assists in the last game. Um, I've questioned some of his productivity, both at past clubs and as well as at Pompey. Do you think that this is a change for Ryan Williams? This is the breakthrough he's always wanted? Or is it more the fact that his high energy, his defensive awareness um, is the things that Kenny Jackett really rates over Marcus Harness? I think they're kind of both true, both of those points. Um, obviously, Pompey player, I do hope this is a breakthrough and I hope he goes on to have a fantastic season. I, as I'm sure we all do. I've also questioned about his productivity when when he uh, he did sign I look I looked on Wikipedia and I know it doesn't tell you the most of the stats about a player but he played 45 games for Rotherham last season and had one goal and one assist that's not he's not going to be a, a 25 goal a season winger that's going to I mean we're going to score bucket loads of goals when he plays all, all of that kind of thing um and obviously, I mentioned earlier that I, I said you know, he's never going to score a goal because he'd get in so many good positions and he'd just put it over the bar or about getting an assist. He'd get into the box and he'd play a ball to, uh, to Curtis, sorry, I know against South End, but the ball was just too far in front of Curtis that he wasn't in the good enough position to get uh, a quality shot away. It, yeah. It's always it's been really frustrating like that, and I really hope that if he continues in in that role on the right, which I'm sure he probably will, that this is a breakthrough. I really hope it is. He also had one uh, chance against Harrogate where he hit a curling shot on his left foot that was going in the top corner uh, from <laughs> from the corner of the box that was very well saved by the keeper. Um, so he played really well against Harrogate, but again, with that pinch of salt, it was Harrogate, who, no disrespect to them, are two leagues below us. And if we're going to challenge for the playoffs, we need to be beating teams that are much better than them. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But let's see how he pans out. I'd like to see Marcus Harness back in the team. I think he's probably our, you know, one of our best players. And, and so far this season, he's been a shining light out of all the, yeah, the signings that we've well, got, really. Another, another tactical personnel move I guess and I know it's been mentioned before when you spoke to Freddie but you could have uh, you could possibly play Harness at number 10 there's uh, no reason why not to mate yeah, he's got the I, feet he's got the vision he's got the passing he's not selfish I know and Freddie did a really good article when we signed him about what his strengths are and what kind of positions he can play and what position he gets into when he is playing um, so if you are listening and you haven't read it go check it out there's a, a plug for Freddie which I'm sure he'll appreciate uh, and he is that kind of attacking force as well, who has pace, which you need to to. If we are going to play this kind of counter-attacking football, we need pace up front, and Harness has it in in abundance. Yeah, he completely does, and it'll be interesting to see if he does get any game time there. I, I suspect he won't. I suspect he'll be seen as a traditional right winger, but. You know, maybe Kenny Jackett will listen to the podcast and change his mind. Just moving <laughs> on to the moving on to the Eisners as such. It's it's been something that people have messaged me um, about touching on. 
Um, I said to I said to Finley Whitfield, I, I would touch on this topic as well. Obviously, it's it's kind of topical at the moment as well. Lots of people are discussing it, and there's the let's get this acclamation right. The Tony Goddall Fan Conference or the TGFC, um, and the <laughs> notes have been have been published from that. Before we start going into it, Rob, Rob, are you happy with what the owners have done? Um, I think from what you can tell. Uh, on, on the outside, obviously there are some aspects of it which you wouldn't necessarily see. So some of the the purchase orders for some of the houses uh, behind the South Stand, the the buying of the land behind the North Stand, uh, the kind of facelift of Fratton Park uh, that was done over the summer, those kind of things which they did say you wouldn't necessarily notice but were necessary and were expensive. Um, I think it's it's good that they did it because the trust wouldn't necessarily have had the money to be able to do it, uh, all of it so quickly as well. Um, so from the outside, the stuff that you can see when you look, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely happy with the owners. The, the issue arises when there are certain promises or things that are led to believe to be promises about timescales of when development's going to happen to the ground uh, and what that nature of the development is when they're not being seen as being met i know i spoke to you before and said that i i didn't really think that the ground would be getting redeveloped for uh, uh, probably till 2021 but there were some sections of the fan base that thought that it would have been done at least partially by now, which I think is quite unrealistic about how how difficult it is to get planning permission for such a big kind of building and stuff. Uh, so I, I think, yes, I am happy, but I know that I understand why some people were unhappy with some aspects of of their ownership so far. And of course, because previously to that, we owned the club, us as fans, and we had that kind of more personal connection. Obviously, everyone has a personal connection with Pompey in the way that they support the club, but that real, we own the club, is kind of it being still fairly recent as well. I think some fans are also worried or worried or concerned or, or further than that, that the ownership aren't being that honest, should we say, with the fans, um, deliberately vague, one could even say, I suppose. And I think even little comments on the fact that, I know, I know Neil Allen came out and said, he jumped into just a, a fan argument, I suppose you can call it, and said, last week I asked Andy Redman for an interview, but he politely declined. They prefer us to talk to Mark Catlin for the vast majority of interviews about Pompey. Disappointing. Yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? It's it does seem sometimes like they are being deliberately vague and deliberately a bit kind of standoffish, I guess kind of like Kenny Jackett's tactics at times. Uh, um, maybe that's why they'll never sack him because they're so, so closely related to his tactics and their approach. Uh, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? I, I don't think the, the problem is we can't really have any input to change that which is the problem. It's true. I think there's small things as well that certain fans, I know, um, I know it's mentioned on the Ian Chiff read as well, the fact that, you know, the disabled fans, I think, were promised to be moved somewhere um, where they're not going to get constantly wet every game right at the front. Um, that hasn't been sorted. That should be something that could have been arranged, especially when you open a new part of the stand again for safety regulations up in the north stands uh, and build a new entrance up, up to that. Do you think that, these are things that will come to fruition. Is it just a wait, a wait and see sort of thing? Because I'm looking at all the at the um, the notes from the from the fan forum as such. All the the there's no promises in it. All right, everything's left deliberately vague. You look at the ideas on the Milton end, for instance. All it says is the council need to get involved. Um, things are going well. A new walkway needs to be. Um, a new walkway needs to be added as well. For, you know, Fratton Station needs to be redeveloped. 
a lot of this is true to a certain level, but let's be honest, to put corners on the ground of Fratton Park down by the Milton Ends, we don't need to be building serious infrastructure, do we? Yeah, uh, I I don't know. That's the thing. It's um, it depends on what your 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 believe to be outcome is. Whether you want there to be a thirty five thousand seat stadium at Fratton Park, or whether you want there to be a like just it to be kind of the similar size it is now, but better, a better fan experience. Um. One of my friends, uh, he used to be the chair, I believe, of the Pompey Disabled Supporters Trust mm-hmm. or Supporters Association a few years ago. And he said that it took them years to get a, to make sure every one of those disabled fans at the front got a cup of tea and a sausage roll at half time. You know, for them being like, they have to sit there. They can't sit anywhere else in the ground. They have to sit open to all of the elements, whatever the weather. And I sit three quarters of the way back in the Fratton end. The only way I'm getting wet is if the rain somehow drives at an angle straight towards the Fratton end and then goes up. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they obviously, they get wet, they get cold because it it's obviously really windy sometimes down there. They get, uh, you know, anything. There could be ice on the, the surfaces of the, the 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 um I don't know what it's called the the path down there and yeah. all of those kind of things but and also another big issue that that my friend was saying is that when there's away fans disabled away fans they have to sit there as well you know right in front of the front end and there's the animosity there as well that's like that is not a good place to be as a disabled fan in front of the home end. No, it's certainly not a good place to be, although you might be able to have a bit of a chuckle at the moment with the way the, the way that everyone's, um, well, should yes, we say, not but, happy with things. Well, yeah. yes, but it's, it's still, you know, I don't know if there were any disabled Santa fans there. I don't know if they were allowed to, to go because of safety concerns or whatever, but if there were, when we, we played them recently, that's that's shocking. No, no, it is. And again, these things need to be addressed publicly. And when you look through all the notes that I've just had a little skim again through, you think there is no actual sort of this is going to happen by then. But it is discussed that the Milton end is not likely to be completed this season um, and in time for next season, even, I think it says. So these are fairly meh updates. Uh, January recruitment, interesting that... Fans brought up the fact that last January's disappointment uh, recruitment was very disappointing. Obviously, you know they can't bring in Ian Henderson again, but I'm um, sorry, Stephen Henderson again. <laughs> yeah, but um, I was going to say we'll go on to Ian Henderson in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So we can't, we can't, we can't do that. Um, it's interesting as well that Eric advised the board had absolute faith in Kenny Jacket and encouraged fans to rally round and be the twelfth man and help the club progress. Let's be honest here. Kenny Jacket isn't going anywhere, anywhere, despite any analysis from from fans, from observers, from independent sports outlets, from whoever. He's the man that they've chosen, and like in a lot of American sports, he is going to be here for the rest of the season, isn't he? Definitely, uh, and it's kind of what come what may. I think uh, he's going to be there. I think it's it's frustrating though, as as a fan who. Personally, I, I think he should have been sacked before the Santa game, really. But nothing really beyond that has improved my opinion of him other than we've got a couple more wins. Um, but even then, you know, the win against Lincoln was one of the worst performances I've ever seen Pompey play. The, the, the first half against South End was one of the worst 45 minutes of football I've ever seen Pompey play. You know, it's it's turgid, the football, and it really doesn't get people on side. If it was a little bit more attacking and a little bit more... As soon as we go 1-0 up, we don't put 10 men behind the ball, It's which is what it seems at times. 
if it was a little bit less like that, you'd get more people onside or at least returning to being onside with Jacket. You know, the first time Poppy fans were singing We Want Jacket Out was after the Wickham loss away, which is... Just trying to f- remember when that was. That was months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was, was months ago. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I, I think the thing, just to summarise my opinion on the owners at this second in time, I'm not very happy with the lack of transparency with the media. Um, I mean, they certainly don't give us any access to anything in that sense. Um, they, they don't give, they're not giving interviews out to, to the news, etc. You have to question the possibility of the fact that they um, used to run ESPN who are known as one of the most closed-minded sports uh, networks in the world and they tend to buy people out if they if they question them writers who write for them cannot um, speak to other news agencies and they remove press passes from people who you know it's a any access is, is poor from them at the moment. But apart from that, I'm, I haven't really got any any huge concerns that I know about publicly. Um, obviously, I think that their football judgment is poor on Kenny Jacket, but that also has to land on Mark Catlin, in my opinion, who I think is a great guy. Um, but you know, you have to you have to look at the CEO running the team, and he has to advise that the board is such that this actually isn't getting the right results, and that can't always come back on back on ownership on that level um we'll just we'll go on and do the rochdale game because we can speak about this for ages um, <laughs> and we've got about nine ten minutes to wrap it up before i have to go and um, go to bed because i'm knackered from going out all weekend in bristol mate let, let's do it rochdale they are a funny team aren't they um they play nice football they do the opposite of what pompey do they like to go forward yeah. they like to play the ball round um their, their idea of we'll go down fighting even if we in, fucking will entertain you, even if we don't get the result. They're a team I think that will survive this season. You know, they're a bottom half team, but they play nice enough football. Obviously, they've got Ian Henderson up front. He's the man that scores all the goals for, for good old Rochdale. He's been here before many a times, isn't he, Robin? He seems to be a little bit unstoppable. Yeah, so he's got eight goals in the league so far this season. Um, and he's... He he never seems to not score most of their goals. Um, he's he got twenty last year in the league, you know. And you look through his his stats for for Rochdale, it's 20, 13, 15, 13, 22, 11. You know, very important player to to Rochdale and how they play. As you say, they play nice football. It's it's nice to watch. Uh, but their results haven't been coming. But their most recent games have been against some difficult opposition. Obviously, they they lost at home to Ipswich, they lost uh, at home to Bristol Rovers, and they lost away to Oxford in their last three games. So they they are all pretty tough games. You think, you know, Ipswich are obviously top, uh, Bristol Rovers are ninth, and Oxford are fourth, and we're, we're on a really long unbeaten run. Um, it's nice football, but when they play the bigger sides, the better sides, they do sometimes get picked off and lose by a couple of goals. Having said that, against us, probably won't happen. We'll probably, if probably do win, we'll probably score one, and then we might somehow accidentally score a second one before Rox- before Ian Henderson scores. Yeah, and you've got to look at the results. You're completely spot on, Rob, because when you look at the, the games they played against the, the lesser sides, I'd say, you know, they won away at Bolton 3-1. They won at home 2-0 to MK Dons. You know, before losing 3-0 away at Oxford and getting a player sent off as well, which is not going to help you in that course. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, losing by one goal to Rovers and one goal to Ipswich is definitely nothing to be to be shy about. For a team who has a lack of quality up front, if I'm honest, mate, um, apart from apart from um, Ian Henderson, they they are overachieving with their style of football and have scored exactly the same amount of goals as Pompey. They just conceded a shitload more. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of them, and we we played them in the cup last year, didn't we? Uh, and that was a another similar game to what I expect uh, next Saturday. That it will be close. It will be a tough game, and Pompey probably just edge it um 
and it's it's always close with Rochdale when we play them from what I can remember recently uh, I know in when we were in League 2 Big Bombs and Gala we beat them 3-0 because he scored two headers so it's I think it'll be a tough test for Pompey but it's also another one where we've got two wins on the bounce and then we have to wait another uh, what is it 10 no 12 days to play again because of another international call up so it feels like our season is very kind of stop-start, which makes it difficult to get any momentum, really, I think, as well. No, I know completely. I mean, I was going to point out, looking at looking at the players to watch, um, Callum Camp's in centre-attacking midfield. They actually have a number 10 who's he's fairly effective. Um, he's got five goals this season, um, three assists, which is a team lead. So he's he's the second man after I think he's only twenty three. So after Henderson, um, he's obviously come into come into fruition for them this season. And they like to play the ball down the left hand side. Um, Norrington Davis, the left back, gets forwards, overlaps, puts crosses in. Um, he's got he's got a couple of assists to his name already. Two um, assists this season. He's only one behind Camps. They like to attack down the left. They like to play short uh, passing, short possession football. They tend to play a four-two-three-one or a variation of that sort of that strategy, which is interesting because it's the sort of shows the sort of style we could play if we're knocking the ball round in the same formation. That doesn't have to be a defensive formation. It can it can be a little bit more attacking as such. They are awful in the air. They make a lot of individual errors. So if people were fed up watching Anton Walks at the start of the season playing right back, it must be absolutely <laughs> awful being a Rochdale fan, guys. So count yourselves pretty lucky. And uh, they really struggled to stop anyone creating attacking chances. So it's a team that are there to be, to be put to the sword. Will Pompey do it or not will be the question. And I think the Rochdale will play the same way they always play. They don't change how they play too much. They tend to to play the same football and stick to their philosophy, which I think, considering that the sort of players they have is, is worked for them. So, Rob, are we going to come out and you know play against a much worse side in Rochdale, realistically? Are we just going to come out and bully them off the ball, um, put them under pressure at the back and, and score three? In short, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I think it will be quite close in terms of scoreline um, because we probably won't create anything, really. Um, we have the ability to do it and some people always say, you know, when, when a team plays football against us and a team wants to try and get the ball down and play and attack rather than kind of sit back a bit because we're a much bigger side or any of those reasons, we tend to do better, especially when you think they they probably have you know a less good quality squad um having said that Rochdale do have some very good individual players obviously we've said about Henderson uh, uh Matty Dunn as well um is a good player and you mentioned about Norrington Davis and, and Camps as well so that there is some dangerous players there for them uh and probably have got to be wary of that as well yeah okay let's put it out there rob um score prediction time who do you think is going to win what's your score prediction who do you think is going to score i think i'll go pompey 2-1 uh and probably oh go on i'll put my money on ryan williams grabbing his first goal for pompey he's got he's got two assists uh in one game so i hope i hope he'll prove me wrong in successive games about the assists and goals. No, I think I think that's fair enough. I think that, I mean, Ryan Williams, you really are. Um, if it was the fact I was giving you the money back on the bet, mate, then I could understand that. But you never know. <laughs> he, he might come good. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Pompey win. I know that I know that Rotherham will come at us and we usually... Rochdale. Rochdale even. That's how late it is, mate. That's why I'm not going too long. I know I know that they'll come at us, but at the end of the day, I think we should have the quality. I think we'll play a deep system. It's going to be frustrating, but I'm going to go with a 1-0 win uh, and Marquis to get one. It's going to be a scrappy goal. 
yeah, I, I, I'd totally buy that. I can see that happening, definitely. Rob, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been... I'm glad to be back. It's been a while, wasn't it? It has been a while, mate. And to be honest, just message me because I'm really rubbish at organising this sort of stuff. <laughs> so uh, just hit me up and we'll get it done again soon. Cool. All right. Thanks very much for having me on. Cheers, Rob. Thanks, mate. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!